you know, as human beings, we like to know what's going on. And um, we, we can't always know. We can't always get it. Uh, we don't always got it. We, we, uh, we're limited in our capacities. Our, our text today, it, it helps us to know what's really going on. And I pray that this is as much of a help to you as it, as it has been for me to, to understand what's really going on and to spot some of the, the nonsense that, that, is, that is constantly going to be occurring in our world. You know, there's, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there, you know? I don't know if you've come across any of those in the past couple of years, but it seems like there have been more and more uh, of late, uh, cer- certainly in the last couple of years. And what's happening with the lack of transparency, we human beings, we're always going to fill in the gaps. We're always going to come up with some kind of explanation. And, and oftentimes they're just, they're just conspiracy theories. And, and what we do is we doubt. When we don't have a full sense of what's going on, we doubt. I see it with, uh, with parents and children. You know, when, when children don't know what mom and dad's up to, it's, it's bound to be something bad, Right? They're holding out on us. They're, they're, they're going to do something. They're going to sneak something in, into dinner. They're going to try to get me to eat broccoli again, right? There's, there's something that's going on there. And, and then as, 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 as children become adolescents and, and young adults, you know, they're always feeling like parents are watching them, watching and waiting. And parents, we're always watching and waiting and we're waiting and wondering. And, and there's, there's in a lack of information, when, when we don't know all the facts, when we don't feel like we've got it all figured out, typically what we do is we doubt. And friends, I, I tell you, this week has just been another reminder for me. I've laughed at myself. I have laughed at myself for doubting God. It's so embarrassing to have been preaching God's word for almost 30 years to have a, an undergraduate, master's, and doctorate degree, to have written a couple of books and, and still have doubt. Is, is that that crazy, but it's true? Um, this week, God reminded me that he is in control, that he has reasons for all things, and I need not doubt him. I, I, um, I, we had an event yesterday, and thank you for all, with my book coming out, it's, it's been such an exciting time. It's been a stressful time. Because it was finished back in the summer and with the whole idea that it would be released in December, December 1st, and that we would have kind of a pre-release kind of event, which was great. The book was supposed to be here at the end of October and it didn't show up. And then it was supposed to be here the 1st of November and it didn't show up. And so we're beginning to think we're going to have to cancel this event. We're going to have to do something else. Who knows what's going to go on. And so Thursday... They tell me it's going to be Thursday. And I'm thinking, okay, Thursday, Lord, what is going on? I'm just filled with doubt about what God's doing, how all this is going to happen. Well, again, the book wasn't supposed to be here on Thursday, but Thursday's the day it's going to come. I was supposed to be in Nashville meeting with some pastors. And the night before, a pastor called and said, man, I'm not going to be able to make it. And so that was canceled. So I ended up being here in Nashville. And sure enough, midday, truck driver calls me and says, hey, I've got your delivery. And I was like, hallelujah, thank the Lord. We don't have to cancel this thing. And so I went out there and out jumps Bill. Bill is the truck driver who has delivered the package. And I said, I almost want to hug you. I'm so happy that you're here right now. I am so glad you're here. And he's like, well, my goodness, this must be a special delivery. What is it? I said, well, it's my book. It's my book that's been, that's coming out. I've been, I've been so anxious. He said, are you the pastor of this church? I said, I am. He said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about God lately. 
I said, you have? I said, well, what have you been thinking? What have you been doing to pursue God? He said, well, I've been in my truck. I've been listening to the Bible since COVID. All I do is I just listen to the Bible. I said, do you understand it? He said, I don't know. I said, you know, it's in four parts. Yeah, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. Do you know the part about the rescue? He said, Jesus? I said, exactly. So I went on to share three circles. I went on to share, this guy's saved. Praise God. So I said, well, where do you live? He said, I live, I live in Louisville. I said, well, what part? He tried to describe it to me. I don't know anything about Louisville. I said, well, I have a dear friend. He's a pastor at Highview Baptist Church. He said, I live near Highview. I said, can I get your number and can I give it to my pastor friend? He said, absolutely. Texted, I texted Aaron. Aaron called him. They're on the phone. They're meeting this morning. That brother's looking to be baptized. Praise God. Isn't that hilarious? That, that, that's, that's so God. But what was I filled with? Your pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jason Pettis. Doubts. Why? Because I didn't know all that was going on. And friends, we're not always going to know all that's going on. That's where God steps in and we can know that he knows. And because we know him, we can rest. But if we're not resting, I can guarantee you we're doubting. And and what I love about our text today is, is that it's filled with people who had a treasure trove of God's truth. And yet they were still doubting. Why? Because they weren't living in the confidence of the word that had been revealed. Nor were they with with active with an active sense with an active faith sense looking at how God had provided in the past they were just looking at a, a particular moment in a particular time rather than keeping their focus on God and, and when their focus was not on God and his word because they didn't understand all that was going on they had doubt so our, our text it helped them to know what was really going on and friends this text today if you'll let it it's going to help you understand what's really going on if you've got your Bible, and I hope you, hope you do, let's go to Malachi chapter 1. Our, our reader didn't show up, so I'm going to have to do the hard work of reading the text myself today. That's what I get for doubting, right? Let's, uh, let's go to Malachi chapter 1. This is the last prophet uh, of, the, of the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. I'm going to read from verses 11 uh, through 14. I'm going to preach from those as well. This is Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name will be feared among the nations. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Malachi is said to be the capstone prophet. Uh, that is said of him for two reasons. Uh, one is because he, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets until John. And also because he sums up really the, the message of all the prophets. 
Now, Malachi prophesied during the time of Nehemiah. We spent the year in Nehemiah for a little background. Go to Nehemiah chapter 13. And, and what you'll see there is Nehemiah is talking about all the mess that's going on in Jerusalem uh, because he was away back at work with the king. And while he was gone, all kinds of craziness started happening and people started disregarding and dishonoring God. And chapter 13 uh, of Nehemiah is Nehemiah coming back to clean house and get things in order. But Malachi was preaching to that during that time when, when, when Nehemiah was gone. He was prophesying. He was telling people what God had to say about what it is they were doing. Malachi prophesied to people who had serious doubts about God and his plan. The ESV uh, study Bible says this, less than a hundred years after returning from captivity, the people in Malachi's day had already sunk to a depth of sin that exceeded the former iniquities, which brought on the Assyrian and Babylonian deportation. So they were in worse shape than the people who got kicked out and cursed. Beyond this, this long anticipated Messiah had not arrived. It did not seem to be in sight. Now they had, bit, bit, they had built back the temple. They built the wall. But remember this. And go back and and study this a little bit. Remember what happened when Solomon's temple was built? There was a divine manifestation of the power of God. This temple had no manifestation of the power of God. Not only that, there was no sign of the Messiah showing up. And, And so these people, they doubted and their behavior showed it. God raised up Malachi. His name means messenger. And this, the general message to people of all time everywhere is honor the name of God by living godly lives. What the book is, and, and as I was reading it there, you maybe have caught a little sense of, of what happens in the book, is that it's a back and forth conversation, but it's God explaining the conversation. So he says, God will say, here's what you say, but here's what I say. And here's what you say, but here's what I say. And so there's this uh, disputation that's going on between the two. And what God is basically saying is, you guys are doubting me. And because you doubt me, you are dishonoring me. It's interesting to me to think about the, the three different audiences. It's important when you're reading God's word to think about God's word from different perspectives. I, I did this this week. And so when I, when I was thinking about the original readers of God's word, of the original uh, receivers of this prophecy in Malachi's day, I thought about the fact that there were two different audiences here. There, there was one group of people who originally heard this message who, who were unfaithful. They were being told by God, trust God, be faithful. Malachi, real quick, go over to chapter three. Malachi chapter three, verses 13 through 15. Look at the condition of the unfaithful. They said, you know, again, this is God quoting them. This is this conversation that's going back and forth. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is in vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They embrace their doubt and they rejected God. Rather than deal with their doubt, rather than trust the word of God, they just, they just embrace doubt. And began to dishonor and disrespect God. Now there were some faithful. It seems that God until he returns will always have a remnant. There will always be the faithful even if it's a few. And what we see here go to verse 16 of now of Malachi 3. 
Here's the faithful. Then those who feared the Lord, that's the faithful. Those who fear the Lord are the faithful. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And so there was a gathering of God's people. They were recognized as members of the faithful. What you have here is an ecclesia. What you have here is a church. What you have here is a gathered people who say, we agree on what we believe. Here is what we hold to as truth. And there was a way to distinguish between those who were inside and outside. Those were the unfaithful versus the faithful because there was a, there was a statement of faith. There was a belief system. There was an agreement on how they were going to live. So they gathered together. They talked with one another. They worshiped God together. They spoke to God together. They, they were the faithful and they rejected doubt. They trusted God. A second group that would be recipients of this reading would be the people from Malachi and Nehemiah's day until the day of Christ Jesus. There was 400 years of silence after the prophecy of Malachi. And so there would be those who would read this book who would, who would be suffering through a, 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 a very serious uh, a vacuum of, of the word of God. And, and, and the message was God's plan still stands. Go to the end, go to chapter four, look at verses four through six. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and their hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a, with a decree of utter destruction. This is, a, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist. It's also a command to the people. Until, until this prophet arrives, you, you've got to be faithful. Go to the word of God. Go to the law of God. Obey God. But be looking. Be looking for the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, this prophecy was, uh, was fulfilled in Luke chapter 1. I'm putting that on the screen. Luke 1, 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will be go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The Messiah was coming. And the people were to be prepared for him. I'm so excited. I hope that you're beginning to get your hearts prepared. Next Sunday, we begin Advent, which is that season of the year where we celebrate for several weeks in preparation, the coming of Christ and what it means that he has come. But there was a third audience and it's us for the word of God, for this prophecy in particular. It is those who would read this prophecy from the resurrection of Christ until now, until the, to one day the return of Christ. And that message is, look, God is at work. Join him. Go back to the first part of chapter four. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, remember who are those who fear the name of God? They are the faithful. God is speaking to the faithful for those who believe in Christ Jesus, who are looking for his return. This, this faithful, those who fear the Lord. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet 
on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Christ has come. The prophecies have been fulfilled. There is yet more to be. The the promises of God stand. Christ is coming again. And God's message through Malachi was given to challenge God's people to overcome doubt and be a thriving people. We all are going to struggle with doubt. God allows that so that we will grow strong in our faith. And we will especially grow in doubt when we don't see things working out the way we want them to. Over the the years, I've, I've had so many people say, well, you know, I tried God. I tried church. It it didn't work for me. Let me tell you what they're saying. And if that's you who have said this or saying this now, let let me explain what you're saying is. You have a plan. They had a plan for the way they knew that life was supposed to go according to them. And when God didn't give them what they wanted, the way they wanted, when they wanted, they gave up on God. Because God was not willing to allow them to be Lord. God is Lord. But there are so many who say, well, I tried God. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. To try God is to surrender your life to his authority. It's not to come to God with your demand list. And if he doesn't give it, you walk away. That's what many have done. That's what some of you may be doing now. God, you didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm out. That's what was happening in the hearts of these folks. Rather than pursue the purpose of God, they were giving up. They were doubting. To overcome doubt, we, we have a simple way of being. We have a, we have a way of being that's, that's not merely religious. The people in Malachi's day, they were religious. They were showing up to church. They were going through the motions, but their heart wasn't in it. They weren't doing what thriving people do. And here's what thriving people do. They exalt the Lord. They exalt him in every season. They exalt him because he is worthy. That's what thriving people do. Now, let's go back to our text. Let's go back to chapter one. Let's take this section apart. I want to encourage you to write down and remember these three things that thriving uh, people do, even when they doubt. The first is this. Thriving people exalt God by recognizing the privilege of gospel-centered worship. They recognize the privilege of gospel-centered worship. Look there at verse 11. Look at that again. Read it real quick again, just to yourself. This is prophetic language. This was God calling the people to look forward to the spread of the gospel throughout the world. God's plan is and has always been that through Abraham, there would be there would be people from every tribe and tongue that the whole world, all the nations would be blessed through him. Go back and read today sometime Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham. It's the promise that still stands. It's the promise that is now being lived out. Now, now God's plan of redemption hadn't changed, but here's what the people in Malachi's day wanted. They wanted national success, power, prestige, and comfort, and nothing more. They did not want the glory of God. They didn't care about the spread of the gospel. They weren't concerned about that. They were concerned about themselves. So many so-called Christian nations end up like this, and they're cursed by God. Many who returned from the exile to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem could not see how great God really is. Here's what they thought. They thought of God as a tribal deity. And that was, that was in vogue in, in that day. That's why the Babylonians allowed the 
the, the Jews to go back home because the idea was get people back to where their tribal God, where their geographical God is so that we can get whatever God they worship. We can get that particular blessing. It was polytheism, many gods. And so they had they'd kind of gotten suckered into this way of thinking and they had lost a sense of the awesomeness of God. They did not fear God. They did not delight in God. And so they doubted God. Truth be told, honestly, most of them came for riches and fame. You say, really? Yes. See, these prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, when you look at them closely, Remember when you're looking at a prophecy, when, when the prophets were given, they, it was like looking at a mountain range for them. And they could see the mountains, but they couldn't know the depth. They, they could picture, okay, there's a king coming, the Messiah is coming. But sometimes the second coming and the first coming would get a little bit mixed up. And so it's no surprise that, that even in the first century when Christ was coming, there were people who were confused, even his own disciples. Because remember, they kept asking, Jesus, now, now. Now are we going to get rich? Now are we going to be powerful? Now are we going to be the cool kids? Now can we kick out the Romans? Now do we get all this great stuff? See, this was the mindset of those who had returned from the exile. And, and here's the thing. They've been there a hundred years. No Messiah, no money, no power, no huge army, no, no cool kids handshake. You know, none of that great stuff. And because they didn't get what they had set out to gain, they gave up on God. That is what many do. Rather than recognizing the sheer awesome privilege of knowing God and bringing glory to his name, there is nothing greater than knowing God and bringing glory to his name. That's what we were made for. The chief end of man, the Westminster Confession says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's God's goal for himself, that he receive glory and he bring blessing to those who love him. And God's glory is filling the whole world, whether we join in or not. There's always going to be the faithful, even if it's a few, who are the remnant, who fear the Lord. They are going to join in in what God is doing. And what is God doing? He's spreading his renown. He's spreading his glory over all the world. That's why we receive the gift for Christ. That's why we go on mission trips. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we learn three circles is so that we can tell people like Bill, the truck driver, when he shows up, how to know God. We spread the gospel because that's our job. Our mission is clear. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Look, look where. Our family is to be witnesses. In Jerusalem has happened. In Judea has happened. In Samaria has happened. And the end of the earth still to be accomplished. That's on us. When we gather for worship and we take in God's word, we're to then go out and share what we've been given. This is the rhythm of every Christian's life. We gather, and when we gather, we encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, we receive the truth of God's word so that we can then go out and then we can proclaim it. I have um, something really weird that happens to my brain. And it's really annoying to the people who love me. Um, I don't know if, if anyone else is like this, but whatever the last song I've heard, whether I'm cognizant of the last song I've heard, I will sing that for the rest of the day until I hear another song. And, and, and it's a little bit annoying to people who love me. 
So I came in the other day and I'm humming Christian music, Christmas music, should be Christian, Christmas music. And my poor wife, where did you hear this? Where, because she knows until I hear another song, we wish you a Merry Christmas is going to be heard in our house, whether I'm cognizant of it or not. Most of the time I'm not, I'm just, (laughs) Charlie's just walking with me, happy as can be. I don't know why the rest of the world can't be. But it's, it's whatever that last song, because whatever gets into our heads, it will come out into our life. That's why it's so important to disciple your children now, to be godly, to know God's word, because in due time, it will come out. That's why we gather every Sunday to sing God's praise, to study his word so it goes inside so that it can then go out. That's the rhythm. We breathe in the truth and the love and the grace and the glory of God. And then we go out in the world and we breathe it out. We come Sunday, we breathe it in. And then we go out and we breathe it out. And throughout the week, there's nothing wrong with taking a mint. That is to have time of prayer and Bible study to sweeten up that, that, that wonderful taste of the goodness of God that comes out of your mouth. This is the will of God and it is a privilege. Second thing. Thriving people exalt God by repenting of the idolatry of self-centered worship. The idolatry of self-centered worship, something we need to repent of. See, once the people decided that God was not going to send the Messiah to take over the world and make them rich and powerful, they really lost interest in God. They stopped making him their priority. They dishonored the altar where they were to present their sacrifices. Look at verse 12. Look what they were doing. They basically said that God does not matter and they didn't respect him. And rather than giving God their best, they gave God their worst. (laughs) Jason Baird gave us a little Malachi talking to this morning. I don't know if you noticed that or not. He was saying exactly what the prophet said. What are you bringing to the Lord today? Are you bringing his best? Are you bringing your best? Because obviously our singing wasn't filled with the light. Our singing wasn't with, with, with expectation and exaltation. I imagine that we look like a bunch of stumps on our wall, right? Just going, okay, yeah, praise God. Okay, whatever. This was the people of Malachi. Friends, whatever, whatever we give our priority to, that's what we worship. You can say whatever you want. I love God. I trust Jesus. Really? Where's your time go? Where's your money go? Is that where your conversation goes? Is that what you talk about? Is that what you think about? Is that what gives you hope? Is that what you think about when you rise? Is that what you do when you, when you pillow your head each night? Is it really the glory of God? Or are you worshiping something far less, far less significant, far, far too unworthy of, of your being that's been made in the image of God? We worship what matters most. And so what we have now in our country, really the world, as we have the, the fastest and largest growing religion. And it's being recognized as a religion. It's called self-centered worship. Let me give you some statistics on self-centered worship. 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. That is self-centered worship. 86 believe that to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things you desire most. What your flesh desires, that is what you should get. That's what you deserve. That's what every commercial is going to tell you for the next six weeks. Get it for them or get it for you because you deserve it. Self-worship. 91% affirmed this statement. To find yourself, 
Look within yourself. The answers all are inside of you. You are your own God. You are your own truth. You are your own praise. The whole world should delight in your presence. The whole world should should see your power and your might and your capacity to hold forth what is true and best. That's what self-centered worship is. That's the idolatry of it. And of course, like all religions, it has its commandments. Six, to be sure. The six commandments of self-centered worship. Number one, no matter what, trust in yourself. Number two, never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Three, build your life to fulfill your dreams and desires and manipulate others to help. Number four, glorify and enjoy yourself over all else. That's the direct opposite of the shorter catechism. It's the direct opposite of what we've been created for. Number five, define your own standard of goodness and never believe you are a sinner who needs grace. No, 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 you're good, you're fine. You're good. That's what, that's what our flesh tells us, what the world tells us. We don't need Jesus, if I need Jesus a little, Jesus, not a lot. You are your own God. Number six, use your creative power to craft your identity and purpose. It's all about you. This is what the people were doing in Malachi's day. God was not their priority. They were pursuing their idols of self-centered worship and God called them to repent. And God calls us to do the same, to repent of self-centered worship, to stop lying to ourselves, to stop living deceived lives, and do what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Friends, putting God first is so liberating. It is so liberating. It's, it's, it's so glorious. It's glorious because it honors God and it's liberating because it puts all authority and responsibility on him. You know how great it is when your car breaks down and you say, God, your car broke down. I don't know what you're going to do, but I, I hope you do something. Hey, God, this bill's coming up. I don't know how you're going to pay for it, but I'm yours. You bought me. I, this trusting in God, it's, it's trusting with the light. Every challenge is a, is a means by which God can reveal his goodness and glory in this plan. Every prayer is, is a time to partake in, in the purposes of God. And, and to really bask in his greatness. That's what thriving people do. And we can constantly thrive. Having the confidence to be intimate with God. The contentment to obey God's commands. Trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. Never forget that. We are a people in motion. You're either going forward or you're going backward. Either you're thriving or you're declining. Declining is depending on created things that make us feel strong, but are actually destroying our life and leaving us with a dying hope. If you have, fall prey, if you have fallen prey to self-centered worship, you are declining. If Christ is not first in your life, if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, you're declining. If he's not your priority, if he's not your delight, if you don't consider it a privilege to have gospel-centered worship, you're declining. You need to repent. You need to turn from that trash and, and lean into the, to the, to the trophy that is Christ and delight in him.
Last, third, thriving people. Thriving people exalt God by resting in the glory, this is awesome, of awe-centered worship. Uh, This last part of verse 14 could be a whole sermon series. This this part has has delighted my soul. This is just powerful. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The people in Malachi's day, they didn't think much of God. Our great concern needs to be that maybe we don't think much of God. That that we think much more of ourselves and other created things, much more than we think of God. God, there is none like God. And those who think little of him, you're not seeing him for who he is. Like the people of Malachi's day, we need to realize that Jesus is a great king. He is a great king. What it says there in verse 14, what does it say? I am a great king. Jesus is a great king. I love this description of him in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He is a great king and he has a name written that no one knows but himself because he is self-sufficient and all-knowing and he is mysterious and glorious. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. He is the Logos. Go back to the gospel of John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was given to us, the Logos, the truth. He is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He is a great king. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is a great king. Look what else it says. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Oh, that I had the time to take this apart for you today. The first, well, one of the first times we see this is in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter five, beginning in verse 13. What we see here is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is what the theologians call a theophany. This is the appearance of Jesus Christ in flesh before the incarnation. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him. Notice that a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. What is he saying? He is the Lord of hosts. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his faith to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? He responded rightly. This is God who is a man. This is Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord of hosts. And the commander of the Lord's army, that is Jesus, the Lord of hosts, said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
He is a great king. He is the Lord of hosts and his name will be feared among the nations. Make no mistake about it. Jesus's name will be feared among the nations. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow of every person, of every nation, every person ever conceived in resurrected form will stand before the almighty God and everyone will bow. It says in Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what had, they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who love him will delight in his coming. Those who fear the Lord, who live in awe of him, and who, who are happy to come with an awe-centered worship because of the gospel of God, we will be like those in heaven. We can happily and excitedly bow down to him. Revelation 4, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, picture this, there's the seraph. There, there are those who, they have six wings. With two, they cover their, their eyes. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they're flying around. And look what they are calling to the Lord and to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's happening in heaven right now. This is true. This is real. Friends, this is what's really going on. Can you tell I'm a little excited about this? Friends, this is what's really going on. Take the, take the, the, the blinders off. See what's happening. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, by the way, they're doing that now. What are those who understand reality? What are those who know what's really going on? What do they do? To him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns. They take all that they've got all that they've ever accomplished for the goodness and the glory of God. And what do they do? They lay it at his feet. And they say, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Friends, is this how you worship God? 
Is there an awe-centered worship in your existence? Or is God, or is God just someone who's supposed to help you get what you want? Have you fallen sucker to self-centered worship? Have you lost sight of the greatness of God? Friends, Jesus is a consuming fire. We are to fear him. We are to worship him. And we will be free from the doubts that so easily entangle us with the sin that would keep us from seeing what's really going on. Some of you are blind today because you're lost in your sin. Some of you are stumbling because you've taken your eyes off of Christ. Some of you know, but you're not leaning in to what the Lord has told you to do. Repent. Let's stand together. As we stand, uh, if, if we could have our care leaders to come forward. God, you are a great and mighty God. Lord, help us to understand those words. We say them, we sing them, but do we understand them? Holy Spirit, help us. Lord God, I know there are some who are here today who are not saved, that they do not take you seriously. Along with the world, they want to picture you and pray to dear baby Jesus because you're safe when you're just baby Jesus. But when you're the God of the Bible, God, you're scary and you're awesome. But because of your steadfast love and because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, our sin can be forgiven and we can be made righteous by your great grace. And Lord, I pray that there'll be some today who will come and talk with leaders at the front and say, I need this grace. I need to be saved. Lord, I pray there'll be some today as everyone else is leaving that will come to this altar and say, God, I'm guilty of self-centered worship. Please forgive me. I, I want to be the faithful few who fear the Lord and live with hope. And God, those who need help today, as they come to pray, help them. Lord, bless us. Bless us not with things, bless us with you that we might seek you first and then see you provide to the praise of your great name. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.